Howdy folks, welcome in here. What's cracking? It's another edition of Next Up to the Mic here. Max Kelton and Sam Brief. And we got a great episode for you today. It's a tremendous young man who has just a, a brilliant perspective on this broadcasting stuff. He really thinks about it in a very minute detail way. And he brings, I, I think, a very mature perspective to it as well. Oh, absolutely. This guy, he is almost maniacal in the way he thinks about it, but in the best way possible, because I think you and I also share a lot of those qualities. So we vibed a lot with him. I got to meet him for the first time over Zoom. Can't wait to meet him one day in SoCal. Uh, but Max, this gentleman, he's a gem. Yes, he is a gem. He is the voice of the Cal Poly San Luis Obispo Mustangs. He does a ton of great work all throughout the country, CBS sports work, and, and he does games on ESPN+, Plus, ESPN3. He's a rock star and a good friend of mine, so a pleasure of mine to have him on the podcast and to introduce. Next up to the mic, it is Chris Sylvester. Ring the bell, baby! Ding dong, the witches dance! Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! They ran it back a hundred and nine yards! They're not gonna keep him off the field tonight! Waving his arms, bare chested! Somebody stop that now! Oh my heavens! Alrighty, folks, welcome back in here. We got a tremendous guest today. Uh, he's a good buddy of mine, a rival of mine, much like Sam is in the American Association. It's a young man who I learned a lot from when I was in school along the West Coast, our first West Coast guest. And uh, it's an honor to welcome this young man onto the podcast. Next up to the mic, it is Chris Sylvester. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, fellas, appreciate you having me on. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. How you doing, man? I'm I'm well, man. I'm well. You know, summer's winding down, uh, kind of getting ready for you know, college football season and and some other stuff going on. So I'm I'm excited to kind of get back into the thick of it. I, I know you guys have been busy all summer, uh, calling games, uh, baseball games, just about every day. But uh, uh, for me, being primarily a college sports guy, summer is usually a little more mellow for me. Although I did. Uh, called a, a summer collegiate baseball team uh, that that Max, I know you're familiar with. I actually, I guess, I had some big shoes to fill after uh, you, you did the games last year uh, in Santa Barbara with the uh, the Foresters. Did you go to Wichita for the NBC College World Series with the Santa Barbara Foresters? Well, I was going to. I, I then I came down with a little bit of a cold. Uh, little bit of an ear infection uh so you know with uh, covid still you know rampaging on uh i i did not get a chance to go but i did call the games remotely the stream was very reliable and uh much of the listeners thought i was there that's how uh, we were kind of able to pull it off 
I mean, what's that, what's that like doing those remote games, despite having, you know, really no, no sense of what the atmosphere is like at the ballpark, knowing that, Hey, this is just about the biggest game that you're going to call all season. It's an NBC world series game. This is the championship. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't really much of a game, unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, Forrester's kind of ran away with it. 14 to two was the final in that championship game. And, uh, you know, Pintard's group, man, they they do such a good job of just, you know, getting getting talented players in place and uh, winning games. I mean, if, if folks aren't familiar with the Foresters, they've, they've now won that National Baseball Congress World Series nine times in the 87-year history of it. Uh, nobody else has won that many titles, and uh, they won back-to-back titles for the second time. And uh, they won 21 straight games to close the year. They're actually in third place at the All-Star break. And everybody kind of was like, whoa, it's just, this is a down year for the Foresters. This, these aren't the Foresters of years past. And then they just kind of came out with their hair on fire and, and didn't lose a game after the All-Star break. Pretty impressive. I mean, the, the winning streak lasted more than a month. Uh, I think it's one thing to win 21. I think 21 straight wins at any level, any sport against any competition is super impressive. But uh, the fact that there were a lot of off days, you know, a cross-country bus trip in between uh, made it that much more impressive. I mean, in terms of travel, were you traveling with the team this year? I, I, I never really had the opportunity last year because of COVID, because we didn't really have fans in the audience. I know that Sam, Sam and I have a lot of travel ourselves that we have to do with our American Association teams. But were you going around California? Just a little. Summer, summer? Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. Well, you know, my home base is in slow, so I kind of wish we played the blues every other day so I could, you know, sleep in my own bed most nights. But uh, I, I did I did do some traveling with with the team just about everywhere. Uh, had, had a had a colleague call most of the games with me. So, uh, you know, it was it was a fun experience. It was a fun experience. It's a grind, though. And, and it, it just uh, I, I admire you guys so much for what you do with the teams you call games for, man, because uh, it, it's. It's a grind. I will say it must be nice to, to have the three, four game series, because uh, as you know, Max, uh, you kind of play somebody new every day in, in the CCL. So it's not like you can really just prepare for one team and be good for a three, four day stretch. You kind of just start from scratch every morning. So I think that was the, the most challenging aspect of it. But, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a, a drive further than Orange County. So uh, it, it was cool to get to travel with the guys. And uh, I guess the signature you know, post-game meal on about just about every bus trip was in and out and uh, in and out is, is a bigger deal for a lot of the kids that, that aren't from California that are on the team. So uh, I'm sure they, they cherished every single double double. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit, it's a little overrated, frankly. <laughs> it's the bang for your buck. Uh, but I, I will say there's nothing like Firestone in San Luis Obispo, the best, what is it? Tri-tip? Tri-tip. Yes. Best tri-tip. Best tri-tip I've ever had. Sam, when you do come out, because you might come out for, for Chicago State when you're playing UC Santa Barbara, if you have the opportunity to make your way up to San Luis Obispo, it's about 90 minutes away, and the best tri-tip I've ever had. Better than Kansas City. Better than Texas. I like a tri-tip. I like mm-hmm. the sound of that. Although I will say, when I was in Texas with the dogs two weeks ago, the freaking barbecue there. Holy mother of everything like just the ribs that ah, i can't even describe it that was that was some of the best food ever hey chris i got a question for you shoot shoot at me 
Great. I want to know, you know, because I never met you and I haven't really listened to you before. Uh, you know, I'm kind of meeting you now for the first time through Max. I'm curious. What makes a Chris Sylvester broadcast a Chris Sylvester broadcast? What is the identity? That's a great question. Um, you know, I try not to bite anybody else's shtick, right? I mean, I try not to, to steal anybody else's uh, terminology too much. You know, I grew up listening to John Miller on Sunday Night Baseball, and uh, I'm not a Giants fan, but I, I do listen to a lot of Giants games because I think they, they have the best broadcast crew on the radio. He and Dave Fleming do such a good job. So, uh, you know, I think it's a sport-by-sport sport thing, and it's kind of a network-by-network network thing, to be completely honest. Like, I, I'm the voice of Cal Poly Athletics, so – uh, I, I can kind of get a little more loose when I'm calling a, a Cal Poly game on radio for my San Luis Obispo audience. And uh, I, I don't like to be too much of a homer, but I, I will kind of give my opinions a little more than I would say on a game that I, I would do on CBS Sports Network or, or one of the ESPN networks or stadium or something like that. So I, I think it just kind of depends on you know, where you're catching me. If you're catching me on a Cal Poly broadcast, I, I really, I really feel like I, I could just be a little more unfiltered, obviously uh, on a national broadcast where I have to be kind of split down the middle. I, I just try to give as much information as possible. I'm not going to overload the audience with statistics uh, and I'm not going to overload the audience with analytics. I, I'm going to try to give a little bit of both I always like to dig deep into backgrounds, whether it be previous matchups or, uh, you know, history between a pitcher and a batter. If we're talking about baseball or head to head matchups uh, between head coaches and college basketball, college football, um, just I, I kind of just try to overturn every stone during a broadcast. Now, you know, I've, I've called so many games that. I've called my fair share of lopsided games where my team's either getting killed or, or my team's up by a lot. And in my time at Cal Poly, we have not really had a winning basketball teams. Max knows a thing or two about that. He called a, a heartbreaking buzzer beater against us uh, with his alma mater a couple years ago. Um, but uh, you know, it just kind of depends where you catch me. I just, I try to have a lot of energy uh, at the appropriate times. I, I don't ever want to be that guy who doesn't, get high enough for the big moment. So I always try to prepare myself to, to be ready for those big moments. Sometimes I'll call a, a game that I think I did a subpar job on, but as long as I really nailed the, the big moment of the game, the game winner, the dagger, uh, you know, a, a big highlight real play, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with it. Um, I think that the biggest challenge, and I don't know if, if you guys can kind of follow up on this, but the biggest challenge in, doing six to seven baseball games a week is having the same energy every night. Uh, maybe it's a little easier knowing that you can kind of go back to the hotel or go back to your place. Uh, the, the Forester's gig for me this summer was tough because I was either you know, going back to a hotel or getting ready to drive somewhere three, four hours the next day. So I think that was the, the toughest, but I, you know, my, my dream is to work in major league baseball. And I know that grind is going to be, uh, very similar. But I, I just think the thing is to uh, act like you have a new audience every night and uh, make sure you say the score a lot. I know those are kind of some underrated aspects, but, uh, you know, th those are kind of some things I try to key in on. 
I love your comment about energy. And it, it sort of strikes me as if you're going to be too high or too low, you'd rather be too high. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think I never want to be the guy who's like losing his brains out over a first inning home run. But I also don't want to be the guy who's, you know, calling the final out of the world series and sounds like I'm, you know, hanging out with my cat on a Sunday morning. So I, there, there is a balance. And I really like your sentiment of like, if you're going to be on one side, lean high energy, because the reality is the people listening and especially at our levels, like I know that the dogs fans listening when I'm on the road, those are the diehards. So when the dogs hit a home run, even if it's an eight to one game in the fifth inning, like they're excited, right? So I better be excited uh, just because it's not the final out of the world series doesn't mean you provide energy. So I love that from you. And I, I think that's spot on because even with Chris, Chris, what you're doing, what you've done with the Foresters this season is the people that are listening, the majority of them, a lot of them are families. These are families who are listening to their, their young their young kids, these up and coming freshmen and sophomores in college, and they hear that energy from you. And it's reflected on, Hey, my kid is in the right place at the right time right now doing the right thing. And I think that it's such a a staunch um, perspective that you have on it. But one thing that I I do want to compliment you on, and I have, I've listened to a little bit more um, of your broadcast than Sam probably has. is just that even when it's not those big moments, you do a great job of keeping the listener, listener entertained just because it's so easy to listen to you. Where does that come from? Where does it, where, where does that derive from where, Hey, when it's not huge, there's still an, an, an ease and Hey, giving you all the action, telling you the story. Yeah. I think that that easiness kind of comes from just the, the passion that I have for what I do. Um, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that there weren't some games that, you know, were two and a half hours old in the fifth inning that I didn't want to speed up a little bit. But, you know, I, I'd say nine out of 10 games that I call, I, I really just relish in that moment and kind of shut off any outside noise. I don't really think about what I'm doing after the game or what I have to do tomorrow morning. So I just try to lock into that game and and try to milk every moment for what it's worth. Uh, I, I think there was a, um, you know, a cool, I, I, I pride myself on, on the preparation. I think the preparation uh, when I first started calling games was probably my least favorite thing to do. And now it's my most favorite thing to do. There was a, a player on Cal State Fullerton that also was in the, the California Collegiate League this summer. And uh, his father um, I, I discovered, you know, they'll have bios and say, hey, dad played minor league baseball for five, six years or dad played, uh, you know, three years of college football and two years in the Canadian Football League. And you could really just by Googling the dad's name and kind of getting more information, it's not so much about just that kid anymore. You can talk about, well, well, dad played six years in the minor leagues. There, there was a kid whose father had been drafted three times in the same round out of high school in the 38th round out of junior college in the 38th round and and out of four-year college in the 38th round. I thought that was fascinating. And this kid had like four at bats um, in the game that I called, but uh, I was able to kind of milk that story through three of his at bats because he wasn't doing much with the bat that day. So I I think a lot of it just comes from the, the preparation. I mean, I'll tell you this, and I'm sure you guys can attest to it too, but, um, when I show up to a game, 
I only use about 30 or 40 percent of what I have written down unless it's a really oh, long for me game. less for me even less. Yeah, it's like I, yeah. I don't even I don't even use it. But that that's great. I mean, the last thing you want to do is run out of stuff to talk about and, and become overly repetitive. Um, so I think for me, it's just it's just about how much you prepare and what you're able to find as you prepare. You know, and there's other times where I'll show up to the ballpark and I'll think I have a bunch of cool nuggets and all of a sudden I'll, I'll read the game notes and there will be some extra stuff that I left off and uh, stuff that I would have uh, been pretty bummed out if I, I didn't catch before the game started. So um, I, I think a lot of the, the easygoing listening, even if it's a lopsided game, it's just, uh, you know, I'm just happy to be there and I, I wouldn't really want to be doing anything else for, for work. What's your balance between, and we're, we're, I love, we're, we're getting into what Max and I like to call broadcasting. Now, it's not one-on-one, it's like 202, 303 at this point, but the balance between using that prep and staying on the game because some of the best advice I've gotten was me being, you know, waist deep in my scorebook, grinding away like all of us have, writing all these cool nuggets and researching. And then someone put their hand on my shoulder and said, hey, Sam, where's the game? And I said, oh, it's out there. And he said, then why are you staring at your book and your computer and all these papers? Go watch the game and tell me what's happening in the game and use that stuff as a supplement. So um, that's something that you know, I sometimes listen to stuff from past years and I'm just like reading out guys' bios. You, you know, it's like you got to pay attention to the game. So for you, is that something you've ever uh, had to really think about and lock in on is that balance? There's, there's definitely that balance. I think it all kind of is dictated by the game. Uh, if it's a nothing, nothing pitcher's duel into the seventh, or if it's a 30, 30 halftime score in a college basketball game, uh, you know, low scoring, both teams are shooting like 30% from the field. Uh, I think you kind of try to talk about the other stuff because the game itself is just, Oh, there's a miss. There's a miss. There's a ground out. There's a pop out. There's a strikeout. Uh, you know, it just kind of, in my opinion, is dictated uh, by the flow of the game. I mean, I've, I've called some really competitive games. So my, my first national television game I did earlier this summer was the junior college football uh, national title game in Little Rock, Arkansas. And um, so, you know, I biggest broadcast of my life and uh, about 30 minutes before kickoff, the audio in our, our headphones stopped working. So I called that entire game uh, with with nothing coming through my my headset at all. And uh, I wasn't able to hear my analyst uh, outside of just the natural sound. I had to kind of call the game with with one earphone off. Um, so so that was challenging. But the game was really, really good. It was like a, a three or four point you know national championship game. And it was back and forth. The team that won had to erase the a two touchdown first half deficit. They went to their backup quarterback in the second half and he kind of led them to the championship. So there were so many things, you know, I overprepared for that one for sure, but there were so many things that I wanted to get to so many storylines I wanted to talk about that I thought would be really cool for my reel and really cool for my audience that I just never had a chance to get to because of how good the game was. It was just back and forth. I think both teams were actually using their backup quarterback by the end of the game. So uh, you know, it, it's really, in my opinion, just kind of dictated by the pace of the game, uh, the ugliness of the game and um, how all that looks. It just depends on you know, the extra you know, bio stuff that I'd throw out there. 
if you could, if I mean, if I could describe Chris Sylvester in just a couple of words, I mean, I would talk about preparation and adaptability. Adaptability because of what you mentioned with with your headphones and all that action, but also your new partners that you have frequently. You're not calling the game with the same person all the time. And I think that's really difficult for me. I get into a flow of chemistry with my color commentator and they can read me really well, just as I could read them. But for you, you're not always with that same person. So how do you develop a chemistry on the fly with somebody, hey, in Texas Tech doing a game in Lubbock versus doing a game in San Luis Obispo when you know that you've never really worked with this person before? Yeah, that's that's a that's an A plus question right there, Max. Um, that's you know, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the, the pregame conversations. You, you try and make it. Uh, as casual as possible because you don't want to have a robotic approach with some stranger on the air. Like, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, different color analysts pretty much everywhere I go. So that CBS game I did in Little Rock, I worked with a, a former Cowboys defensive lineman by the name of Brandon Noble, and he had done a bunch of NFL games on radio before. So I knew I was working with a pro uh, that knew football, but uh, it was it was the dinners we had the, the couple of nights leading up to it that really – uh, made me feel comfortable about the actual game broadcast in itself. It's the Zoom calls with the coaches kind of figuring out how to how to tee up my analysts because I think a lot of play-by-play guys get behind the mic and, and they think they're the star of the show. But I never played football at a high level. I, I'm going to defer to this guy. He's the star of, of this broadcast. So I, I just try to tee up those guys as best I can. There's definitely a sense of, of comfort and a, an advantage for me as a broadcaster working with someone I'm familiar with, because I kind of get to like, like I mentioned, be a little bit more unfiltered. And I, I know kind of what makes the other person laugh and uh, what, what the other person likes to talk about, what the other person often brings up during broadcasts in certain situations. But at Cal Poly, you know, I've done football for five years now and I've had six different commentators do color with me and uh, I'm having a seventh this fall. So, you know, uh, those those color jobs, I, I don't think they're as sustainable as, as us play by play guys, obviously. But, um, you know, it, it just I think for me, it's just about the, the relationship you build off the mic, outside the booth, in between innings, try to find some common ground. There have been some analysts I've worked with that didn't seem necessarily too pleased to to be where they are. But there's also been some analysts that are just former coaches and players and just getting into it. And, and they kind of just follow my lead. Um, and, and I think that's a, a great sign of respect. I, I've called games with former head coaches that were recently out of a job that wanted to look into color as, as a potential career possibility. So I've worked with a lot of analysts that are very new to the game. And I, I think that's kind of helped me uh, develop those, those on-air relationships to where, uh, maybe the audience doesn't know that it's the first or second time I've worked with them. Well, what, what would you say to somebody? I know I Sam, I, I, I want to get right to you, but I do want to say that although this is a play by play, play by play podcast, podcast about play by play. What do you say to those people who really want to get into color that haven't done it yet, but they're former, they're former ball players. Yeah. I, and I think that's the biggest thing. I've had so many colleagues start to dive into the business by kind of just tagging along with me and being my color analyst uh, for free. I, I think that's a way for them to get comfortable. I think a lot of play by play guys would take a color opportunity if they've never called a live game before to kind of just get their feet wet and, and see what the feel is like of uh, a game broadcast. But um, you know, I, I there's really not a future for 
any analyst that isn't a, a former player or former coach, you know, you, you and I would, would not have a, a future in doing color analyst work at all. They just wouldn't want to hear from us because we didn't compete in those sports at a high enough level to where our opinion would mean more than somebody else's. But for uh, an aspiring color analyst, it's, it's, it's very, it's much more casual. It's much more laid back. There's not much structure like there is for a play by play guy, play by play. You're worried about the score. You're worried about the time. You're worried about live advertisement reads. You're worried about tossing it to break station ID. If you're on radio, I mean, there's so many more things to worry about outside of the game itself. When you're doing color, you just you might get a replay if you're on television and say, look at the safety here. He goes over the top. The wide receiver slips by him, gets wide open. Quarterback puts it on the money. Great throw. Six points for the Chicago Dogs, who are now a football team in this scenario. I mean, you know, for, for <laughs> color guys, it's a lot. Wow. More I better relaxed. I better I feel get like on that it, press release. Uh, you know, that, yeah. You, yeah. It's, it's coming. I, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to spill it too soon. But uh no, in all seriousness, I'm, I mean, I think for aspiring color analysts, if you're a former player or if you're a former coach and you want to get into it, it it's such an easy transition, in my opinion. And that's why you see, uh, you know, NBA players, MLB players in their offseason or if they're injured, you'll see them join that ABC crew or that MLB network crew. I think uh, Dexter Fowler, who's on my uh, favorite team, the Angels, who, who strained his ACL at the beginning of the year, he was on uh, the Fox desk a couple of weeks ago. So it's, it's not a tough transition because uh, in baseball, you're kind of in the dugout talking with your teammates, talking with your coaches about what you might say on a television broadcast. And same goes for, for other sports when you, when you have free time. So I, I think uh, for those guys um, it's, it's a little bit of an easier transition because it's, it's very laid back and casual and you kind of just uh, follow the play by play guys lead play by play guy. I'm sure you guys know you kind of, Call the play, give the down and distance if it's football, give the time and score if it's basketball, give the score an inning situation if it's baseball, and then you get out of the way and let your color guy chime in until the next pitch or the next inbound pass or the next uh, snap. You know, it just kind of depends on the sport. But um, that would kind of be my advice to anybody looking to get into being a color analyst. Yeah, the way I always liken it is it's captaining a ship. And I've had a sort of rotating cast of color analysts in my booth this year with the dogs. And the goal is to keep the ship afloat, right? My job is to be the captain. I'm overseeing things. I'm, you know, whatever captains on ships do, like checking the engines and, you know, making sure everything's on course, right? That's time and score and making sure people know what's happening. Yeah, you can clearly tell, Max, I'm not very nautical. <laughs> color guys doing the real work right especially on tv i think i don't know if it was joe buck someone said radio is a play-by-play -play person's game because the play-by-play -play person has to paint the complete picture but tv is a color game because tv people see what's happening you know, the play-by-play -play has to guide the ship still but Really, the color person's job is to, is to provide meaning to what, what's there. So I love your thoughts on that, Chris. I, I've seen that, too. I've seen that, too. It's a, I, I, it was, a, I think, a tweet a couple years ago, but it was perfectly summed up. That television's a color analyst's medium, and play-by-play -play for radio, that's their medium. And, and uh, I, I couldn't have summed it up any better. I, I think the, the color analyst needs to talk more than the play-by-play -play guy on TV because you don't have to be as descriptive on television but on radio 
the color guy can't be talking through plays or else the audience is going to miss a good chunk of the game. And that's what they're tuned in for. For me, it's Kevin Harlan who said that. I mean, Kevin Harlan says that for TV, this, the first star of TV, of a TV broadcast is the picture. Second is the color analyst. Third is the play-by-play guy for radio. First is color. Well, for, first is play-by-play, then, then it's color. Something along those lines. But the fact that, that play-by-play is not the star, I think that, that it's really difficult to to swallow that sometimes when you're on air. So, um, I, yeah, I just think, I think it's difficult to somewhat swallow that, hey, when you're on play-by-play, I'm not the star. Um, and, and to give that, that stardom to the players, and something that Jim Nance says is, hey, if you call me vanilla, it's because I know that I'm not the star of this broadcast, and that's why all, all of the good broadcasters are vanilla. So I think that that's something that you do really well is you you make the players, you make the actual game the star of the broadcast. And it's something I think I actually struggle with, something that I got to work on. And a lot of that has to do with who you're working with. You know, I mean, if you're just if you're if you're kind of calling it with uh, somebody fresh out of college who, who wants to get into play by play, they can't do you justice like a former player or coach at a high level would. So. I, I mean, I, I, to truth be told, I mean, I, the, the first three or four color guys I worked with were play-by-play guys or, or broadcast journalists that just kind of knew how to talk <laughs> and fill airtime. So uh, it wasn't until I, I started, you know, really picking up bigger gigs that I actually got to work with players that actually used to play for that program or play for that team or used to coach in recent memory. So I, I think just I think that's the struggle. I mean, when you, when you get off the ground, not only are you calling a lot of games solo, but you're, you're also working with analysts that more than likely um, probably haven't played that game at a high level. Or, or if they have, uh, they're probably very green on the air. Or else, the, you know, I mean, you, you know it as, as well as anybody from just watching games on TV. I mean, how many times? I mean, look at what Tony Romo did with his life, <laughs> you know, going from, uh, you know, starting quarterback in the NFL to making more than that uh, on Fox. And uh, I think we, we're seeing it with the RG3. Robert Griffin III is doing the same thing. He's like, hey, I'm open to playing this year, but I'm going to go get this ESPN money and talk about a sport that I know and love very well and, and still get paid a pretty penny for it. So, um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a big spectrum when it comes to that. Do you have a broadcasting pet peeve? Uh, you know, I have a few of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I, I and, and look, I have fallen victim to this so many times in my career. And sometimes I still do it. Not so much now, but definitely when I started. I just, I, I tried to be somebody I wasn't. I tried to sound like somebody I wasn't. Uh, and I, it was really humbling kind of over COVID. Um, and I, I, I'm mentioning this because I kind of already brought it up, but uh, during COVID, you know, I mean, it was, it was so terrible for us because there's no sports for us to call. Um, there was just Korean baseball on every night, like way past my bedtime. And, uh, and, and that was about it. But what I, what I did during COVID, knowing that everybody else was kind of in the same predicament, was I reached out to a lot of Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL broadcasters and sent them my stuff. And, uh, you know, the only negative critique I got was, hey, you know, maybe you could sound a little more natural. You know, your flow's good. Your terminology's good. You say the time and score enough. That's all good. But 
maybe try to sound a little more like yourself. Uh, you know, I had a couple of people say, Hey, you know, I, I hear a lot of John Miller in you, uh, which isn't a bad thing, but, but try to try to be a little more like yourself. And, and I, I feel like I kind of made that adjustment in the last year. And I, I think it sounds better because it's just kind of more me than me trying to be somebody else. And I think I do hear that even at the highest level, I hear play by play broadcasters, kind of drag words and deep to the wall it's gone uh, <laughs> you know kind of just drag it out a little bit and there, there's nothing wrong with that but um you know if you're asking for a personal pet peeve I, I would say it's just uh you know trying to sound too much like a like a, a talking head instead of just being more conversational and, and sounding like a human being it's amazing how many vocal ticks there are just like that gone example you gave that really are just signs that you're not talking like yourself. One that Max and I were talking about the other day is when people misuse the words the and a, like if I say that's at the wall, you know, we are here at the dogs game. Like when people get really formal, sometimes they might say something like that, but that's not how we talk. Like if I'm telling you we're at the dogs game, we're at the dogs game. It's not the game. So it's little things like that, that I think once you start thinking about that and really analyzing yourself and saying, okay, am I being natural? Uh, you have to be zoned in on those details. And, and Chris, I can tell you are, man. I, I mean, I try to be, you know, and um, I'm, I'm just kind of a, and, and obviously, I mean, you guys are putting on this podcast, so, I know you guys are, are are in the same boat, but I'm just kind of a nerd when it comes to play by play. I don't necessarily. Oh, try to, hell yes. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily <laughs> try to obsess over other play by play guys, but just the the art of what it is. And it, and it is art. You know, I mean, let's let's face it. It's 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 like a it's like a music career. It's like an acting career. Like you have to start small. You have to kind of get the reps somewhere where nobody's listening. And then you kind of just have to send out your tape to everybody and you have to send it out to people that you know aren't going to respond. And you have to just keep sending it, hoping that the right person's going to hear at the right time when they need somebody and they're going to want to talk to you and you, you want to make that impression. So it, it is an art. It's an art for sure. And, uh, you know, there are, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect broadcast. I, um, I'm, I'm not huge into talk radio, but I was listening to a, an episode of Colin Coward a few years back where he said not once in his you know, prolific career. And let's face it, I mean, he's one of the best to ever do it you know, from a financial standpoint, um, along with Jim Rome and Dan Patrick. And you got you have to put him in that conversation, whether you like his takes or not. But he said not once in his career has he ever had a perfect segment. And his segments are only 11 to 12 minutes. He'll stumble over his words. He'll say the wrong thing. Sometimes he'll throw out some misinformation. Um, and, you know, I think in a lot of ways, his job is tougher than a play-by-play guy's job because, I mean, we have the game to talk. We have something actively going on in front of us. When it's mid-July and we're past NBA and we're not close enough to NFL, I feel bad for those talk radio guys because they're, they're pulling stuff you know, out of the closet, man. I mean, they don't, they don't have anything to talk about. So they just kind of kind of beat the dead horse over and over again. But, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect half inning. There's no such thing as a perfect touchdown drive or a perfect, you know, media timeout to media timeout in basketball. I, I think the, the biggest thing is to just try to take one where you have some exciting plays, you have some exciting moments, you can sh- kind of show off 
what makes you maybe better than the average play-by-play guy. And uh, I, I think that's, that's definitely key, but, you know, producers, coordinating producers, talent management people, I mean, they're, they're going to latch on to all that stuff because they've, they've heard really good broadcasters and they've, they've heard subpar broadcasters. So um, it really is an art and it, it's just kind of a matter of timing, to be honest about, you know, where you get to go and what games you get to call. One of the things that you taught me uh, that, you know, that I, I genuinely just learned from you and continue to learn from you about is how to cold call, send those cold call emails and set up a reel. And for you, somebody who's done this for a few years now, delivering a reel and sending those emails, not getting those answers, but knowing what you like in your broadcasts. For you, there might not be a perfect broadcast, but what makes it good? What makes it good enough for you to say, that's the one that I want to send out and put my name on it. That's Chris Sylvester. Well, so I went to Houston last week, as you, as you guys mentioned at the top, I think unless that was unrecorded anyway, (laughs) um, I'm in California now, but I was in Houston last week and I had a great opportunity with the Astros, whether, you know, you hate them or love them. It was a great opportunity. I'm very thankful for it. And, uh, they let me use one of their empty radio booths to call a two game series against the Colorado Rockies. Now this game wasn't available for the public to listen to. It was strictly just for my own reel. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I split it up with a buddy. So one game, I got five innings. He got four innings and then vice versa the next game. So I got nine innings of Major League Baseball, 18 half innings, if you want to look at it like that. And anytime you send a baseball demo, I suggest sending a half inning and maybe tack on three or four highlight real plays at the front or the back of it. That's just, you know, everybody does demos differently, but that's just kind of how I've done it. And Uh, how I think people kind of prefer it because you kind of get a little bit of, all right, how does this guy sound, you know, coming out of a break if I'm tuning through radio stations in my car and just happen to listen to half an inning? And how does this guy sound in the big moment that we talked about? And I I finally, after listening to both games like three or four times over the weekend, found a good half inning that had, you know, an extra base hit, an RBI, uh, had a good defensive play, uh, had some good nuggets about um, this hitter and what he's done in his career. And obviously, you know, doing the Astros, I mean, you got Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, you have some really good players there to, to talk a lot about the, that are, you know, leading Major League Baseball in a uh, number of categories, former MVP, former All-Star, you know, whatnot, everything, world champion, controversy, and so much to talk about. So I, I came uh, to the conclusion that my best half inning wasn't even a half inning. It was uh, a sequence where the Astros got like three hits and four at bats and knocked the pitcher out of the game. But what made that sequence so good for me was that I didn't make too many errors. Didn't really like stumble over my tongue and, and, you know, something sounded weird. I didn't really have any of that. Um, you know, I, I think I had a good balance of, uh, time and score, or I guess in this case, ending and score and, and what the situation was. And, um, you know, one for two and two at bats or over two with a walk and just kind of, I felt like I was able to give whoever might listen to that a little bit of everything. So they're not left asking me, Hey, that was good, but can you send me something that has a bigger play or can you send me something that's a little longer or a little shorter? I think it was great. I think it was like seven minutes. And the best advice I ever got from John Miller himself, actually, was like, look, uh, they're only going to listen to the first 30 seconds. And if you're good, they'll keep listening. If you're not, they're going to stop listening. So uh, when it comes to a demo, you don't, you don't want to have like 
a minute of blabber before the half inning starts. You, you guys get it. I mean, there are pitching changes. There are long you know, delays in between half innings where you kind of just got to stall. You get it back from commercial break and the, and the catcher's just getting out there because he was just on second base or, or the pitcher is coming out of the bullpen still and uh, there, there's nobody there to warm them up. So you've got to fill a good minute of airtime. And the last thing you want to do is, oh, welcome back. Bottom of the fifth inning. This game's tied at five. John Rogers have taken over on the mound. He takes over for uh, Max Comins, who pitched four innings of two-run baseball tonight. We'll get you the final statistics on that. You say you don't want that in the demo. You kind of want to start the demo where it's like, here's Michael Brantley. He's one for two with the single. John Gray's at 59 pitches through five innings of work, and the fastball is outside for ball one. Five-five ball game. We're here in the top of the fifth. You know, you kind of want to start there. You don't you don't want to have anything unnecessary in there because when it comes to a demo, time is of the essence. And, um, you know, if, if you're applying for a job that 100 other people are applying for, you're only going to get 15, 30 seconds. So, uh, you know, my, my biggest advice when it comes to demos is show your versatility in that demo. Don't make it too long and, and put something in the beginning that makes them want to keep listening to it after 15, 30 seconds. That's so valuable. And sometimes it's even less. Sometimes it's even like, 15 seconds, right? That, that, that people make decisions. I mean, I've, I've been on both sides. I'm much more on the side of sending tape, kind of like you, Chris, with the, you know, the cold emails. I remember when I, when I graduated sending something like 150 emails to minor league teams and I've done that. And then I've had people applying for the dog's number two job. So I've been in the role of listening and sometimes it's, it's a snap judgment, right? Uh, we make snap judgments all the time in our day-to-day lives. Uh, it's really hard not to judge a book by its cover. And sometimes you judge a play-by-play guy by the first, or, or a, a play-by-play woman by the first five seconds. That's just, that's how our minds work, whether you want it to or not. I think that's the most difficult part about it because even if it's, hey, the first 10, 15 seconds are good. If you get a minute, two minutes in, and then you slip up on your words, then it's basically like that whole tape is out the window. For me, that's how I feel. And then in the middle of the broadcast, middle of a half inning, I'm like, well, you're not doing this for the real. You're not doing this for the real. You're doing it to get better every single day and to to figure out what you like and what you don't like. But for you, Chris, do you still listen to yourself during the game thinking this is a good inning? this is what I'm looking for for my reel or during an inning. Are you just calling the game and you worry about all that stuff later? You know, it, it for me at this juncture of my career, um, it's, it's radio against television. Um, I think every television game or streaming game, ESPN plus whatever is, is for tape, you know, because I just don't have the body of work on TV that I do on radio. There are some games on radio where going into it, I'm like, all right, I don't think I'm getting any tape out of this broadcast unless there's a buzzer beater or a walk-off home run or a Hail Mary touchdown. And, you know, we're human. That's that's fine. Um, but, I, you know, I, I can't say that I, I walked away from any Forrester half innings this summer and was like, you know what, I'm going to use that for my reel. I think the... <laughs> I think the appeal in, in doing the major league baseball games last week was every moment I was calling those games. I was like, this is for the real, 
This is for the real. This is nobody's listening to this right now. This is not live for anybody to hear. So I need to kind of show my versatility, really, really be on my P's and Q's and and just kind of knock it out of the park. And and I, I, I felt like I was able to get, you know, like I said, like a six or seven minute stretch. That being said, if you listen to your own demo reel, the same one too many times, by like the 10th or 11th time, you're going to find stuff that you just didn't hear the first or second time. So I try to not listen to the same demo reel of my own more than four or five times. Like the one I have for college basketball this year, the first two times I did, I was like, whoa, like I need to send this to Westwood One. I need to send this to ESPN. Like I need to, this was really good. Now, when I listen to that same reel, because I've heard it so many times, I'm like, oh, man, I can't stand this. I can't wait for college basketball to come back so I can do something better than this. So it's kind of just that that battle with yourself. But, um, you know, there, there are there are stretches, like you said, I, I think more so uh, college football, college basketball than than college baseball for me, um, where, you know, it's just from media timeout to media timeout, like 1540 left to play first half. Welcome back. Seven, seven game. Cal Poly's hit four of their first five shots from the field. Santa Barbara's only hit one shot, but they're five for five at the foul line. And that's why the game's tied. Uh, Cameron Pierce got fouled on a three point attempt before the timeout. So he's shooting three free throws coming out of the break, blah, blah, blah. So you kind of like you, you set the stage, um, you give those opening stats and you're kind of off to a good start. And then it just kind of depends on, um, you know, are, are they going to knock down some shots? Am I going to get to show off what, what, a, what a fadeaway jumper sounds like, what a fast break dunk sounds like? You know, the game often dictates what, what that tape is. And um, so I think more so on radio for basketball and football. But I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, every time I'm doing a television game at this juncture of my career, that half inning, that media segment, that drive, I'm always looking for tape. And uh, I, I've noticed just personally that it does take me um, maybe a couple of drives in a football game to really get comfortable. It takes me a couple of innings in a baseball game to really feel like I have some tape material. I, I could tell you this, that from almost none of my demos is, is from the first quarter or first few innings uh, or first half of a game. It's usually kind of right in the thick of it when you're kind of in the flow of it, much like players, right? I mean, much like uh, you'd have in a bait, you know, first time through the order, maybe, you know, you're one for eight against the starting pitcher. Then second time through the order, you score five runs and knock them out of the game. That's kind of how it is for a play-by-play guy. Um, you just, you just kind of get more comfortable as the game goes along. Chris, tell me a bit about what's next and what you see as, as your next steps in the, in the not so distant future. And then in the distant future, like, what do you want? Uh, you know, I, I'd like a, I'd like a little more uh, stability in terms of, you know, what games to do. Like, I, I'd like to I'd like a contract with the network right now. I'm, I'm freelancing all over the place, which is great. There's nothing wrong with the freelance gig where you're kind of just picking up games that are, are convenient for your schedule. My main hustle is Cal Poly, but my role is changing a little bit. I was the radio guy for football, men's basketball and baseball the last five years, but I'm stepping away from radio uh, for football this season because I want to pursue more college football games on television. And I just didn't think it would be fair to ask, you know, Cal Poly, hey, can I get, you know, three or four Saturdays off out of an 11 game football season to go do something else? Uh, I, I thought it would kind of be a bad look on my end. So they were um, very supportive of me kind of pursuing um, some television games. So my first college football game this year is Montana State at Wyoming Labor Day weekend on Stadium. 
And I'm really excited to do that. It's uh, really only the second Division One non-Cal Poly college football game I've ever done on television before. So I think that will be fun. Wyoming has a really big stadium and a really big fan base. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and, and then I, I got another five or six games uh, during the college football season that I'm doing on ESPN Plus um, in California for the Big Sky uh, Conference as well. So that's kind of what I have lined up for for college football. I'm, I'm, you know, as of today, you know, I'm still sending out stuff, trying to get more games to fill up my Saturdays. Um, but uh, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now with that. I'm still signed on to be the radio guy. Uh, at Cal Poly for men's basketball and baseball. That's a, there's a lot of consistency there, a lot of games there, and they won't mind if I take three or four games off to go, you know, maybe do some network games elsewhere. So I think for me, it's just uh, another year of kind of adding more uh, TV work to my resume and to my demo reels and just uh, trying to see what openings fit. You know, I'm, I'm not against sending out that Major League Baseball tape if uh, there is a Major League Baseball you know, number one or number two opening uh, this offseason. I, I actually am represented by um, an agency called Max with two X's, not not like Max Kelton, but uh, <laughs> Max with two X's. They're based out of New York, and uh, I've, I've been with them for almost a year now. Uh, what I will say for us, unfortunately, with, with what COVID has done, is uh, many of the, the broadcast talent under contract is doing the games from their homes. And if you're not a veteran that's already under contract, that's taking away from, you know, up and comers like us who want to grab a fill-in opportunity and maybe make that into our, our next break. So the sooner we can get out of COVID, which is, I'm sure, everybody's message these days, but the sooner we can kind of get back to normal, get broadcasters back on site, I think that's when you're going to start to see maybe this next wave of play-by-play guys um, making their move. I mean, I'm sure you guys are, are play-by-play nerds like I am, like Joe Davis, Adam Amin, um, Jason Benetti. Cat. Yeah, exactly. 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 See, I mean, you, you guys are in a great spot, but kind of those guys are like, are like the, the newer generation of, of play-by-play talent, but we're, we're kind of in that next wave. We're kind of like right after them. And I don't think you're really going to see us ascend until maybe, you know, a, a couple years from now. We can uh, get, get out of this whole take home remote broadcast era. And unfortunately, I do think the remote broadcasts are going to stick for certain networks. But luckily, the broadcasts have been so bad and so difficult for most remote crews that I, I think that eventually, eventually, I don't know how soon from now, but eventually we're going to have majority of broadcast talent on site for games. Where can we follow you? Where can we find more Chris Sylvester? Uh, I'm really, really only on Twitter these days. So you can, you can find me at Chris Sylvester underscore. I wish I could just have Chris Sylvester without the underscore. The but- underscore is huge. Oh, it, it's, it is huge. It is huge. And tell I me what do- the underscore means to you and your personality. Why is that a part of your identity? Well, you know, I, I'm when I'm picking over unders for games, I usually <laughs> like the under big, big pitcher stool guy here, big defense guy. So uh, that's really where it comes into play for me. Actually, the guy that has at Chris Sylvester on Twitter hasn't tweeted since like 2013. So it's kind of annoying. I'd like to. That's oh, always man. how it is. Dude, I got yeah. the same thing. I mine is at Sam Brief. I, I shouldn't be complaining, but I, I'm going to complain, even though I shouldn't, because. I want at brief and there's a, an egg who hasn't tweeted since like 2002 before Twitter was invented, who has at brief. We're so going to make I a petition like- to get you that in a blue check mark. 
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Right back at you. Let's get rid of that underscore. <laughs> Guys, it's been awesome. Um, Chris, I can't wait to come back out there. You know I'm going to be visiting slow. And uh, Firestone is on me this time around, Guy. All right. And uh, Zach Anderson Yoxheimer is here and, and ready to treat you as well. Send some love to the kid. I can't wait to see you guys. Uh, and we appreciate you having, we appreciate you coming on. It, it was an absolute thrill getting to pick your mind. I know Sam had a great time. I love it when Sam smiles like this. <laughs> I love Max. I love when you do that, when you're like, I know Sam had a great time. I did. I, I just love you, dude. You're, you're, you're the man. And Hey, Chris, it was, uh, I did have a great time. Max ain't lying. It's re- really great to meet you. You've got, you've got a great mind. I can tell. Like this meal that you guys are going to have with the tri-tip and all that stuff. Like, I wish I could come. So um, next time I'm in, I'm in SoCal, I'll hit you up, Chris. You, you know, Chicago now has a direct flight to Santa Barbara. So I'm just saying. I'm sure it's very cheap. <laughs> Bring it on in, baby. <laughs> yeah, cheap is, cheap is the one word I would not use to describe it. I'll tell you that much. Um. Chris, all right. Uh, I think that's all we all we got for you right here. Definitely not for the whole episode, but for for this right this part right here. Huge shout out to you. You are an absolute rock star. For you folks listening, next up to the mic, it's Christopher Sylvester. Wow, what a great conversation with Chris Sylvester. I mean, this was interesting for me because our first couple episodes, Max, I knew the person yeah. very well. Sam Niederman was our first guest. He was one of my best friends, still is one of my best friends. But Chris Sylvester, he's someone who I was meeting for the first time, and I was super impressed with his perspective on everything. Fun guy to talk to. I learned a lot. I know you did, too. And he also sounds like he has good taste in food. Yes, he totally does. And Chris is, you know, not only is he one of my first real broadcaster friends in this industry, but he also... He, he could show show you a good time when it comes to a tri-tip out there in San Luis Obispo. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I need some of the tri-tip. No, so Chris was great. He, Chris was he great. Was, and, and, and let me tell you, when you come out, I will absolutely give you a, a great showing of the tri-tip out there. I don't know if it competes with Cleburne, Texas, but it is good. Um, but Chris Chris is a rock star and, and uh, just a guy who, who has taught me so much because we were rivals when I was really getting into it, and he was a professional, and I was a student. So Chris was a guy who, whom I, I really look, looked up to, and uh, he was able to shed some light on this industry and, and somewhat be a role model for me at a very young age. So um, it, it, was, it was special for me, not just to have him on, but to have him as a friend. Yeah, awesome. It's a cool full, full circle moment yes. and important to have those kind of mentors. So on that note, this is going to be now – Coming up, a new segment on Next Up to the Mic where Max and I not only have a great conversation with a great young broadcaster highlighting Chris Sylvester in this episode, but also do a little self-reflection on our own broadcast because we're in the middle of a gauntlet season right now. We're talking to you live from Max's broadcast booth here at the U.S. Steel Yard, home of the Gary South Shore Railcats. So we are each going to reflect on, let's say, the last week of broadcasting because both of us have called quite a few games to the last two have been our teams against each other so max we're going to do one thing that we loved that we did and one thing that we didn't love so much that we're going to improve on for the next week so 
You want to kick us off? Sure, sure. One thing that I did like that I've done, and, you know, I've been bouncing around doing some games on the road, which for me is radio, some games at home, which would be simulcast, but I cater it a little bit more toward TV. One thing that I've done in, in all of these games lately have been solo. I've been able to make it a little bit more conversational on, a, on the broadcast. Now, f always the focused, the first star of the game is the game itself. But I've been able to make it a little bit more conversational, not just say balls and strikes, but say a little bit more about these players. Because for Anthony Greer's ma, uh, what, grandma? Who's, grandma. Who's, yep. who's watching in, in Alabama. This was what you told me yep. about Anthony Greer, just a rock star on your team, by the way. And he killed us last night, yeah. three for four. Yeah. It's um, pretty fast. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Um, but I, th I think that, that that brings a little bit different of a dimension to the broadcast, it, it helps me a little bit. So just being a little bit more conversational and um, giving those details about the players that maybe the average fan wouldn't know, but Anthony Greer's grandma maybe would. Um, I think that was one thing that I did do well. Maybe one thing that I, I didn't do well, and we were talking about this last evening, when I have guests on, I think for you and for Chris, it's really easy for you to develop that chemistry right off the bat and to talk about the game in addition to what the guest is there for, for me, I struggle with that. I struggle talking about both the game and the guest. I focus a little bit more on the interview itself. And I think something that I, I have tried to work on, at least over these last couple of days and moving forward, is finding that balance between, hey, you're coming on, but I have to, as you said to me, captain the ship. Captain the ship. No, it's super important. I'm excited to see you grow in this because... Uh, it's something that is a skill. It's not a natural-born talent. It's a skill. And like I told you yesterday, those 30 seconds before you go on to just prep up the person and say, hey, here's the deal. We're going to talk about XYZ related to all the great stuff you're doing with this charity, with this organization, whatever. Uh, we're also – we got to stay on the game a little bit. You might see me motion or point to the game. That just primes them a little bit to say, all right, I'm in Max's booth. We're here at the game. We're going to follow the game, but also chat in the background. So I'm excited to see you to see you grow in that. Are you done? Please. Okay. I'll hop on here. So let's see. One thing I did well, you know, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm doing a much better job of having directed energy. Energy is interesting because I think a lot of times in broadcasting, we think of it as a binary thing. You know, the ones and the zeros. Like it's either a one or a zero. You either have so much energy <laughs> or you have no energy at all and you're just like, you know, going that through monotone, the motions. Yeah. Right. But there are nuanced types of energy, right? You can you can have a curious type of energy. You can have a really funny energy. You can have a laid back, relaxed type of energy. You can have a really intense energy. There's all these different energies and I've been really focused at matching my energy to what the game is providing. So, you know, top of the fifth inning in a six to nothing game where the dogs are winning and our pitchers out there cruising along, I might have one type of energy. Bottom of the ninth, three, two count, two outs, bases loaded. My energy might be a little more intense. So I really think I'm, I'm doing a much better job. Still a lot of room to grow, but, but I've been really happy with the last week from that perspective. Um, in terms of something I want to improve on is – being overly repetitive with oh. some of the verbiage I'm using. And this is something that, you know, uh, I almost think it's the equivalent of a broadcasting slump when you, you know, let's say there's a batter who always finds himself, like, dropping his shoulder in a weird way, and he just got got to stop dropping the shoulder. 
Like, there are certain words that I'll just kind of get hung up on, and then suddenly, you know, you say, you know, let's say it's Anthony Greer. And, you know, Anthony Greer swings and hammers one to right field. It's and a then crunch. suddenly everything is hammered. Yeah. Right? Suddenly it's it's just everything is scorched, everything is hammered. Well, most things are not scorched. Most things are not hammered. So something I'm going to do is just challenge myself to be a little more free-flowing with the verbiage and not get caught in those crutch phrases. So that's my, my edict, both for the game that starts in one hour, 58 minutes, and for the next week and the rest of my life. How about that? <laughs> well, you know, that was a struggle for me when I was starting to do basketball. And I think for a lot of young broadcasters, the shot goes up and they say, good, or they say, no good, right? It's those two yep. crunches. So trying to find that verbiage, um, I think that's a, that's a huge part of it, right? So I, I think that's a great thing to work on and something that I, I have noticed myself sometimes doing lately as well. So, hey, you and me both are working on it, Sam. Oh, yeah. We're, I'm we're in this together. But, you know, one more thing on the verbiage, and I had a, a older broadcaster tell me this once, is like, don't, you know, I have a list on my on my computer of, like, baseball vocab. You know, it's a, all these great verbs and all this stuff. But I, so sometimes I look at it, but sometimes I'm like, just say what's on your mind. Yes. You know, you see the guy at the dish. You see him slap the ball you see him smack the ball you see him dribble the ball like you and I are both people who can use our eyes and watch what happened and describe what happened so I'm, I'm challenging myself and I'll challenge you too to just just like trust yourself with the word to say like you don't need to look at a list and, and know like what's the right verb to say like just say what you see if the guy pops it a mile in the air, yeah, he skies the ball to left field. If he smacks it on the ground, like, that's another thing. So something I'm going to challenge myself is, is just just say what you see. Like, I think, don't overthink it. I think you're spot on, but there is a balance, right? Because sometimes I do trust myself, but it might be a little bit too much. The other day, uh, Jesus Madiaga hit a triple. It mm -hmm. got behind Danny Mars in right field, and it rolled to the wall. I said it pinball around. It didn't. It just rolled to the wall. And sometimes I'm trying to do too much. I think the mm -hmm. idea here is say what you see mm -hmm. and don't overthink mm -hmm. it, no? Because for me, I, I sometimes try and overcompensate when the call could be so much easier. Right. And, and it, for that example in the corner, something that I listen a lot to Vin Scully just on YouTube, and something I've sort of learned from him is – you don't always need to have that, like, fancy verb. Some, he'll often just say, there's a ground ball to right. So the ball's in the corner. Like, you can just say, now the ball's lost in the corner. Like, it doesn't need to be a, the ball's pinballed into the corner. Or, you know, if if someone hits a ground ball to second, it doesn't need to be, he swings and grounds one over to second. It can just be, here's a swing and a ground ball to second. Like, not everything needs to be all flowery. So, uh, you know, sometimes keeping it simple, right? Even when he's the most simple, though, Vin was so good. If oh. you have a sombrero, throw it to the sky. He's just unbelievable. He's too good. He's, he's too, too good. good. Maybe he'll be our next guest. Oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. He wouldn't be next, next up, up to the mic. He's he last up to the mic. <laughs> first up to yes, the mic. Yes, first up. First up. I, you know, you think about how, how so many broadcasters have that, that one figure that they want to be like. A lot of the time, as much as I want to be like Vin, when I find myself getting into that that kind of path, 
I try and stay, take a step back, however, because as much as I love what Vin does, there's only one Vin Scully. Yeah, you're not Vin, too. I'm not Vin. I know you. You've got a different energy. You're Max. I'm Ma and You're Max. And a lot of the time, while I love what Kevin Harlan does, you know, or I love what Vin does, mm -hmm. I love what Ian Eagle does, I, I have to realize that sometimes it's good to be Max Kelton. It's good to be Max. You know, I, I want to listen to Max. When I want to listen to Vin, I'll go listen to Vin. Yeah. When I want to listen to Harlan, I'll listen to Harlan. And I think it's valuable to take things from people, right? I, I've taken different terms, different styles from a whole host of broadcasters. But at the end of the day, I'm Sam. Yep. And pretty good going to be. I'll oh, yeah. I'll tell oh, you yeah. That oh my goodness. I'll tell you that. Highly much. recommend. Highly <laughs> recommend. How was Lincoln this week? Oh, Lincoln was so good, man. I, I really like that town. It reminds me of a place I grew up going to, beautiful Madison, Wisconsin. Oh. Uh, my mom grew up, or I grew up being a diehard Badger. Huge, yeah. huge Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin mm -hmm. fan specifically. Oh, oh Love it's it. beautiful. Love beautiful. It. I mean, I'm a Wisconsin Badger at my core, even though I, I went to Northwestern. That was my first love. I don't know about you. Lincoln and Madison, so, sort of similar. State Very, capital, yeah. college town. Good vibes. Good vibes, to say yeah, the least. Yeah, I saw a Garth Brooks concert. We were talking about it. Heard they sold out a beer 30 minutes before Garth came on. He, well, he, I mean, he was unreal. And, you know, it's funny because I, I'm not a country fan, and I didn't know who Garth Me Brooks too. really was. So I got off the bus a couple of weeks ago, and I said, who's Garth Brooks? And everybody looked at me like I was crazy and they because we were going to the town. And That's it. So I'm just imagining, you know, the bus pulls up to Lincoln. You step off the bus, and you look around, and you go, who's Garth Brooks? <laughs> First thing you say. Well, basically, I mean, it, the, the town was popping, though. Let uh -huh. me tell you. And oh, I heard it was a zoo. We got It absolutely was. And we got there to the concert, and all of my all of the buddies on the ball team that I went with, you know, they all know the songs, and they're, they're jamming out. And I, for three hours, just danced around, sh shaking <laughs> and baking, but I didn't know anything. Uh -huh. Finally, the encore comes on, and he plays American Pie by Don McLennan, and it's not even a, a Garth Brooks song. And that's the one that, that I knew. I know every word that's of that the, song. Yes, that's, 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 that's on the short jamming. list of, like, four and a half songs that I know every lyric to. Yes, yes. So, I, Lincoln, good trip. Lincoln, good. Good trip. Lincoln, good. Lincoln, good. Madison, Wisconsin, pretty good. I would love a team in this league in Madison. Oh, I've been thinking about that almost every mm. day since I moved here. Oconomowoc will be close. Yes, yes. And, you know, a young Sam Brief went to camp for six years in Oconomowoc. Really? So, I know Oconomowoc well. So, you know the Lake Country Dock Hounds? Yeah, I'm excited to go back up and there. And Jim Bennett. Yes. 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 All right. I, uh, hey, great episode. Great episode. This was a lot of fun. Chris Sylvester, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris. And, and for all you folks listening, if you have recommendations, someone you'd like to hear from on Next Up to the Mic, please reach out to us. You, you can tweet at us. I'm at Sam Brief. I'm Max at All Day Kelt. All Day Kelt. All Day Kelt. That's K E L T. That's, yes, uh, we shortened it. Kelton was too long. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't afford the extra letters on Twitter. Uh, but uh. that's all we got for you. Not forever, but just for this episode. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, folks. We appreciate all, the, uh, all, all that support. Um, but, Sam, it's, it's a pleasure. Max Kelton here alongside Sam Brief. And next up to the mic, it's Chris Sylvester. A long, long time ago. I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while
But February made me shiver And with every paper I deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside The day the music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry And then good old boys Were drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die Did you write the book of I die. 